Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year to you. Hope you had a good one. I Chris, did you have a good one? A good New Year to you and all in money amazing. We've made it back for the start of a new year, an accomplishment I don't think either of us really thought we would get to. But here we are. As you've probably already noticed in the news, the calamity of Westminster continues boldly forward. I don't think there's any other way of putting it. I can't believe such a catastrophic government is still in power. Just this week we saw Rishi Sunak sitting without a seatbelt on. That's another fixed penalty payment for Rishi Sunak. I believe some joker said that uh, Rishi Sunak's paid more in penalty fees than his wife's paid in taxes. And he's paid more fixed penalty notices than one Boris Johnson that's uh, Rishi 2, Boris 1. Law-breaking Prime Ministers, are we setting a precedent? Mm, well, we'll see. That would be interesting, won't it? Well, we've got a lot to cover, folks. There's a, there's a heck of a lot going on down in Westminster. So I think the first thing we want to cover is the topic that's all over the news at the moment which is Nadim Zahawi and his tax affairs. Chris what's the background? I think what we're seeing here you, you've introduced uh, a number of topics there so the first one is the Sunak seatbelt Zahawi's tax affairs obviously MPs with their undeclared work you've got Savage Javids with his healthcare proposals, possible conflicts there. What we're seeing is that <clears throat> one theme that's emerging through all of these uh, scandals and that is complete sense of Tory entitlement the rules apply to us but not to them that wearing a seatbelt doesn't apply to them. A former Prime Minister who believe, believed that economic theory didn't apply to them and a Prime Minister before that who didn't believe that the COVID rules apply to them and I think this is what we're seeing is that the rules only apply to the rest of us and I think that they should be paying a heavy price they're obviously going to dig in because of their majority unfortunately and so I only think there will be more calamities to follow but what I would say Alistair is that you know it doesn't stop them trying to torch the place before they leave and what we're seeing is a whole bunch of legislation getting rammed through which should cause great concern to a number of constituents in Glasgow South West and beyond. Firstly, they, they ran through the EU retained law bill, which would give Grant Chaps, as Secretary of State, the power to decide on over 4,000 European directives which ones should apply to the UK as, as existing law and which ones should be binned. So, for example, protections for agency workers could be binned. Working time directive could be binned. All sorts of uh, employer-employee directives and legislation could be binned. Consumer protections could be binned. Environmental protections could be binned. Because, let's be honest, when you when you look at people like Grant Chaps, a trumpet, and I'm using, I'm using the phrase trumpet in the <laughs> slang term, no doubt he would be a, a supporter of the former president of the United States Very much uh, of so. America and there's a few of them uh, I think they were describing Lee Anderson last week as a trumpet trumpet oh, god well he's certainly not a god Alistair no he's not he's um, just a head in the hands when they mention that name well, well indeed 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 yes he is a trumpet trumpet obviously my main focus this week is to combat the anti-strike legislation which officially is called strikes minimum service level but that is a pernicious piece of legislation not just because I'm saying it but let's go through some of its measures let's do that one of its measures is that Mr Sharps having all these powers on EU laws will have the right to determine what the minimum service level is in areas of the economy where there's industrial action like for example transport health I think they've put in nuclear energy and border force they've uh, squeezed in the border force as well for reasons uh, beyond our understanding he wants to set the minimum service levels now what is the protection then of 
minimum service level being imposed on a strike day that would be higher than an on-strike day. Well, at the moment, the bill does not touch <laughs> that particular issue. There really should be an independent arbiter. What they're, they're trying to suggest, that these things happen internationally and they're ILO compliant. Well, mm -hmm. wrong again. ILO for the audience? ILO, the International Labour Organisation. Wrong again, Mr yep. Sharps. <clears throat> wrong again. Because... What does happen in some of these countries, the FI social partnership model, things are agreed, they, they do go to arbitration. It's not just the government minister who decides to, to do these things. It also impinges, I should say, <coughs> on devolved administration. So Grant Sharps would have the authority in transport in Scotland and health in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And he, he wants to set the minimum strike level if there was a strike. So say McGill's tomorrow go and strike Alistair. He would want to set what the minimum service level is and the many bus drivers and buses would be operating in Glasgow yep. uh, as a result of McGill's. You really couldn't make that up, could no, you? That he, no. yeah. that he, this guy, would have the all-encompassing knowledge to decide that. This is a guy who, in repeated questioning, has yet to realise that under existing legislation, trade unions are obliged to provide life and limb cover to make sure there's an emergency. That's already an existing law, but he doesn't seem to know about yep. that. It's, yep. cl it's a classic lethal conservative cocktail of both arrogance and ignorance. But one of the, I think, one of the more dangerous parts of the bill is that anyone who is told that they have to go to work rather than go on strike, if they refuse, they can be dismissed with no right to go to a tribunal. And that really just breach. I mean, that throws out decades of employment legislation just uh, straight out the rights, Yeah, human rights uh, yeah. legislation. It's just a disaster that for uh, human rights going forward that people would be allowed to be dismissed in that way. And what do you think employers are going to do if they're so minded? Are they going to pick the trade union no. rep? Yeah. You know, tell them to go to work and then go to dismiss them when they refuse to do so. Absolutely pernicious piece of legislation. So that's coming up uh, on Monday and I'm spending the next couple of days uh, talking to trade unions, uh, the STUC and parliamentary colleagues in order to put our amendments going forward. And as you'll have seen this morning, I was on on the telephone to a number of uh, yes, individuals. Yes, phone's been red hot this morning. And, you know, to discuss and, and shape a way forward. And for me, we really do need to combat um, them impinging and devolved areas, making sure that nobody can be dismissed w with this legislation. The minimum service levels, if, if they are to go ahead, yeah. should be minimum service levels, and that there should be more people at work on a, on a strike day than a normal day. Yeah. And looking at, you know, making sure that there is arbitration going forward. But it is a pernicious bill that shouldn't be anywhere near the statute book. It will probably be unworkable. In the same way, when they try to force through that employers could hire agency workers to bus strikes, nobody, as far as I know yet, has taken up that particular legislation because one, it's unworkable, and two, the agencies themselves don't want to go down that route. I was going to say, they that goes right back to the days of the coal miners' strikes, doesn't it? When all the bus, dri bus drivers had their windows tanned in by the strikers and they were bringing agency folk in to do the mines. Well, was it just the agency workers that were bringing yeah. in, unfortunately? It was, yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was those scabs. Was, well, you can use that phrase, I course, <laughs> but not. But the irony, of course, Alistair, is that one of the <coughs> industrial actions we saw last year to force workplace change was from Tory ministers themselves. And I was uh, surprised to see that government ministers was not part of the... Uh, minimum service uh, level. Minimum service <laughs> level. Given... Given that they, they had effective strike action, which did force workplace yep. change last year. Yep. Without a ballot, it must be said, because of course the ballot took place afterwards. Yes, didn't it, it did. It so. did. Yeah. So do, do as we say, not as we do. 
Well, that's again, it comes back to that Tory sense of entitlement that the rules apply to you, oh, good but good. don't ask them to apply to us. So we're at, what, the first stage of this reading are we through this problem? Uh, that went through second reading, gave uh, my remarks to the nation, which uh, I know have uh, been put up on yep. social media platforms, so all good. A big shout out to our CWU members across these islands who have been uh, commenting on my speech at Westminster Hall on Royal Mail and the Universal Service Obligation. Yeah. It's been really views, about 5,000 views, somewhere around that order, and a large number of comments, all very supportive of posties and working in, in Royal Mail across the service. So a big shout yep. out to them, Alistair. Yeah, we, we, um, no, we noticed the higher viewer numbers coming through on that one. Yes. Quite pleased with that. Quickly back to the EU retained laws. Give us some idea of what would happen to a worker? What what, what specific EU laws well, directly affect workers? Well, if you were so minded, the Working Time Directive, yep. which obviously restricts the number of hours a worker can work in a week. Another one which would be a good example, which I, in my old days, which were not that long ago, Alistair, no, thank you, no. when I was uh, working for the council, is an individual who's on temporary contracts. If they're on temporary contracts for four years or more, then they're entitled under EU Directive to apply for a permanent contract after those four years. I have managed to successfully sort that out for council workers in the past. Now, sometimes that has been as a result of the contracts which the council has. Like, uh, for example, <coughs> those who were working on the M74 completion or similar type of contracts where they were getting temporary upgradings because they were working on those specific contracts. Well, sometimes these temporary contracts can go on and on. So after four years, they, they have a permanent contract at their new grade. That's the sort of legislation that yep. grant chaps can, by, by decree, put away. And I think that that is, and I strongly believe that that puts not just workers' protections, but it could be consumer and environmental protections could be at risk as well. He seems to have a view of life, which is not the view of ordinary working people as far as I'm concerned. And, and is that in his Grant Sharps persona or his Michael Green persona? Or what was the lady that he was publishing under? Oh, it's probably Grant Sharps, the, the trumpet persona, <laughs> yes. So, yes. <laughs> da -da, da -da. <laughs> for those of you not clued in, Grant Sharps apparently has had a number of various aliases when under which he's worked, one of them being a female author. Yes. I understand. Was it a romantic comedy or something like that, or was it? Well, it'd always certainly be comedy. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. would be. It's important, I think, that we, we, we all know that the European Union has brought in some fantastic legislation to support the workers of the United Kingdom, which the Tories just want to do away with as quickly as they possibly can. Well, just remember that um, during the Brexit referendum itself, you had characters... Like, for example, Patel, IDS, Johnson, Gove, all saying that one of the, and all articulating the yes. position that one of the most advantageous parts of the Brexit argument for them was to rip up all these regulations. Yep. They want a completely unregulated economy with no protections for workers. Yep. And bragged about it quite openly. And so I'm afraid to say that the... <coughs> the chickens are coming home to roost, unfortunately, when it comes to these matters. Pretty good coverage there of what's been going on. Let's move on to what's happening in Scotland, shall we? Polling 
very interesting polling going on. People are all over the place with this one. On the 12th of January, Servation came out and said 41% of the population were pro-independence. Less than six days after that, find out now, said there was now 52% um, in favour of independence. And moving from a minus 6% up to a plus 8% lead for independence all within six days. And this is without any of the groundwork being done from the recent power grab down in Westminster, which we still haven't seen come through the polls. It looks like, I think at best, about 50-50. There's a number of polls have yes in front. I think um, seven at the last nine have a yes ahead, and one or two don't. Interestingly, I think one of the ones that didn't have is ahead asked the question leave or remain, which was a bit confusing, but that's what they do, because it comes from a, a unionist campaign group. Yeah. They're entitled to do their own polling, but I think they are at it when it comes to that particular question. I think it's 50-50, and our job is to ensure that that 50% nudges up and goes ever upwards and goes ever upwards but of course one of the more interesting parts of what's happened in Scotland which caused uh, quite a a bit of debate last week in in the parliament was for the first time UK government has invoked the Colonial General Clause it's not me that's calling it the Colonial Governor General Clause I'm quoting Michael Ankrum. Oh, good God, there's no from the past. Who was the opposition, the opposition Conservative spokesperson during the passage of the Scotland Act in 1998, when he referred to Section 35 as the Colonial Governor Clause. Uh Aha! That is a very interesting little... Fact that one. But I, I'm not even at Nerdsport yet, folks. We're not even at Nerdsport. I'm not even at Nerdsport. I, I imagine that's the kind of thing that comes up around the, around the pubs around Westminster, isn't it? Well, well there you are. Parliamentary quiz night. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael Ancrum, eh? So, this is a imposition of Section 35 in relation to the Gender Reform Bill. And it's the first time it's happened. And obviously we were able to, through uh, Stephen Flynn's good offices, we were able to secure an emergency debate on that. Yep. I think it's very worrying that the Westminster government seeks to interfere in Scottish parliamentary business in that way. And I do believe that uh, in this case, the UK government are bad faith actors. They can talk all they want about what concerns they may have for the bill. If we were to accept that in good faith, then they would be able to answer basic questions like, so what representations did you make to the Scottish government since they passed that bill to to when you've decided to impose this Section 35 order. We know the answer to that, folks. Big fat zero. Uh, uh, As they used to say in Family Fortunes. Again, pernicious behaviour, once again, from the UK government. They wanted to discuss this, they should have discussed it. And as a general rule, I'll never support any UK government which seeks to do in British parliamentary legislation in that way. This particular piece of legislation has been the most consulted on for years the debate has been going on for years. So to say that it was rushed or to make some of the other criticisms they're making, I think, are hokum arguments and complete and utter bunkum, to quote a famous Radio Clyde sports <laughs> commentator. Absolute, complete and utter bunkum. And obviously now <clears throat> it looks like that this will have to be settled in the courts. But what I think is curious is that the UK government decided not to refer this to the court, which they've done with other yeah. Scottish parliamentary legislation. The colonial governor is reverting to type. It, it's a real shocker there when you see that one man has the power to stop the entire parliament's 
bill going through, and lest we forget, there were Tories that voted in favour of Section 30. Well, that, that's a, this legislation. Yes, I mean, that, that's a very good point. This legislation was supported by members, over two-thirds of members, uh, representing all the political parties who are representing the Scottish Parliament. So it's not um, SNP bashing or Green bashing, this is Scottish Parliamentary bashing. Exactly, I think that there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes through the Parliament and people say, oh, Sturgeon's a dictator or whatever. But a lot of stuff can't proceed through the parliament, parliament purely on the on the terms of the majority, and you do see legislation going through with cross-party support. Absolutely, a lot of cross-party support and a lot of legislation that gets passed up there because there has to be. It's the only way for it to progress under st- the circumstances that they have. But it's very, very unusual for anybody to take advantage of a clause that was written into the Scotland Act to stop a piece of legislation so widely agreed upon. It's not in the nature of the Parliament to interfere and force a confrontation, which is what it's doing. It's forcing a confrontation in the Supreme Court. And that's just unacceptable. Yep. If we completely ignore the substance of the bill, what we really need to concentrate on here well, is... Well, I'm not sure you can totally. The, the, this is a culture war. They know they're in trouble at the moment. They know they're behind at the moment. The purpose of doing this session 35, I think, is, uh, is threefold. One is to have a go at the SNP to a lesser extent the Greens and the Scottish Parliament. The second thing is is to is to try and expose splits in the Labour Party and I think sadly when you saw Labour MPs shouting at each other, I mean you saw an element of that. Plus they suspect our Labour Party's not consistent on the issue. Or certainly Keir Starmer's not consistent on the issue. That's what they think. Yeah. I think they, they did expose that. And the other one is culture war because they believe the only way they're going to get the red wall back is by the, this sort of stuff. Anti immigration rhetoric and all the other cultural war battles that they want Pro to have. Brexit. And I think it's very dangerous politics yeah. indeed. We will need to be careful how we tackle this. We, we should be, in my view, uncompromising about their political agenda around some of this and the culture wars. We really do need to uh, call them out for, for what that is. Keir Starmer just this week came out against Brexit, didn't he? He said there was not going to make any changes to that. Well, he seems to be consistent on that, because yeah. I think he said that at least three times. So yeah. for him, which is a new world record... <laughs> He has he's positioned the Labour Party as a pro hardline Brexit party. There you go. We'll see how that works on. And that's after we've just spent so, several minutes there discussing pro EU legislation that's helped the workers of Scotland. Yes, exactly. You know. Okay, on to Nerdspot. Let's do this. Now we put up a video the last week there where Chris referred to somebody as the gallant member. Yes. That word doesn't come up very often. I believe the last time I heard the word gallant, my mother was reading me fairy tales when I was about five. Um, can you tell me why you had to refer to that person as gallant? Well, I thought you would refer to me as gallant, Alistair. But the reason, but the reason, the reason that I'm not a, a gallant member. Yeah. But the reason he's referred to as a gallant member is because he served in the forces. Right. Okay. So you will sometimes have people referred to as the honourable and learned member, like yep. Joanna Cherry will be referred to as the learned member because she is a... Joanna Cherry, uh, King's Council. King's Council, yeah. yes. And is a lawyer. Yep. Gallant is for those who have served in the forces and there are a number of gallant members in the house and that and 
as per a parliamentary protocol, that's how they're referred to. Because we don't do simple things like, for example, refer to each other by our names, no, which you know would be far too sensible, Alistair. It would, wouldn't. It? And you have to refer to everybody via the speaker as well, don't you? Yes. You can't yes. use. You can't use the word <laughs> "you" in the chamber <laughs> because the word "you" means the speaker or the deputy speaker who happens to be in the chair of the chamber. So when you say "you have done," they rightly stand up and say, "I'm not." Responsible so far what you just accused me of. So um, it's interesting that the word you means chair as well. So there you are. So I think that's four now spots we're fit today. Yeah, yeah we've done quite well there. I, I, I'm guessing all this is introduced so that people didn't actually pull their swords out and kill each other in the parliament. Well, that's why there's two sword lengths apart between exactly. the, the government benches and the opposition benches. That's five. <laughs> that's five new spots in the one episode, folks. But now we're on a winner this week, aren't please, we? Please keep your Nesbot <laughs> questions coming in. So yes, let's have them. Uh, Al- Alistair loves these. Uh, I, so I love, I love these crazy little sorts things. Of, uh, uh, questions. Well, well, one day, ten years after independence, we're going to be sitting having a drink, going, "How do you remember that stupid bloody rule in Westminster?" <laughs> right. Okay, Chris. Let us go on for boldly forward and mention the surgery, shall we? Come yes. Up. Let's go. And we're looking at the fifty pence church on Thursday, the second at twelve thirty p.m. And then Sainsbury's on the Friday evening at six thirty p.m. on the third. Then we have Cardonald Library, Library at. 10 a.m. on Saturday 4th. Yes. That runs out a very, very busy four days for you, doesn't it? And a very busy uh, schedule, but of course, as you very well know, Alistair, yes. the people of Glasgow Southwest deserve the best. We will be seeing you at some of those. I think I'm, I may be up for the Cardonald one. I'm not entirely sure. I might see you there or not. Again, folks, if you want to get in with the surgeries, please give us a ring. Chris, give everybody the contact details so they can get a hold of us. 0141 and if you desperately want to see Alistair, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Email <laughs> chris.stevens, that's Stevens with a ph, dot mp at parliament.uk. Brilliant. And don't forget the office is open on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Friday. Thursday, Wednesday is the only day that we're closed. So if it's you the public, but we're o- operational by the We phone. are operational on the Wednesday, so. Um, so if you need anything, um, we do do food bank vouchers. So if you're interested in getting a food bank voucher, if you're having some trouble there, come up and see us. And don't forget as well, you can also book a Citizens Advice Outreach surgery with us. They happen on a Friday uh, from 10 a.m. and they go through till about 1 p.m. depending on your needs and requirements. So if you need an appointment with them, please give us a ring up, and we'll book in as necessary for that. Busy week ahead, Chris. Busy yes. few weeks ahead, well, at least. Always, but we are ready, Alistair. We are. We shall carry on. We will. We will. We will fight them everywhere. We need to fight them. But yes, it's going to be a busy time. And I actually thought that um, you know being off the DWB select committee would you know free up my time to do something. No. But it looks like the Tory government have decided to keep me busy, and they really don't want to do that. <laughs> no, they, they do really not. don't want to do that because they, they don't want to take they're, on the best parliamentary team in Glasgow. They're going to. They're going to find a title of this legislation that will be tabling a number of amendments, which are going to make them severely think about what they're doing. So on that happy out folks thank you very much for listening to us yet again and we will be back shortly take care folks stay safe